You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Like you, Jonah, who's a music person and also a mental health counselor. And you, Vanessa, who is an actress, comedian, and I think you even wrote a children's book. Wow. I sure did. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it. That's really it. And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh As a high school student. Plus legendary sisters Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. You would pull the bag out and then we would eat okay. the eat all the leftover the leftover chocolate chips, which was a lot. Then you'd roll the barrel oh, up so to fun. up the hill. And then one of us would get inside the barrel and they'd push you down. And we've also had an amazing guest like Mike the Miz, Jason Isbell, Carrie Brownstein and Corin Tucker of Slater Kinney, and many more. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like Change.Dork. <laughs> Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Chelsea Handler, and if you listen to my podcast, Dear Chelsea, you know that I love making space for women to share their stories. And that is why I'm excited to be part of Women Take the Mic, iHeartRadio's celebration of women who make music, influence change, and create culture. All month long, your favorite voices from talk radio, music, and podcasting will highlight the remarkable achievements made by women and discuss the most significant issues facing us today. Search Women Take the Mic to listen to a collection of International Women's Day episodes from iHeart's top podcasts, including Angela Yee's Lip Service, The Psychology of Your 20s, and Dear Chelsea. It is a great way to support women and discover your new favorite show. Head to iHeartRadio.com slash Women's Day for more and listen to Women Take the Mic on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, for years, we have humbly celebrated Women's History Month at QLS with a full month of fantastic female guests. This year, we say with pride that we have four multi-talented, award-winning ladies who kick down barriers. I'm talking Brittany Howard, Corinne Bailey Ray, and the incredible choreographer Fatima Robinson, and as well as Lettucey. Listen to QLS on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Car Stories with Sung Kang and Amelia Hartford. And today we have an old friend. I met him on the set of Tokyo Drift and he happened to be my driving double. So he's the one that made me look like I knew what I was doing, which <laughs> I do not. Our guest has so much courage and passion and it takes a lot of that to leave 
your home country and come to America. He's a true example of the American dream working out, mm-hmm. coming from a small town in Sweden and then making it all the way to Hollywood. Yeah, and outside of all the stunt work that he does, he's also a two-time Formula Drift champion, has won X Games Rallycross medals, several podiums in short course off-road racing. He is an incredible driver. Yeah, and he's a great example of someone that knows how to balance their professional life and family life. He's an amazing husband, amazing father, and lucky to call him an amazing friend. So without further ado, Samuel Hubinet. So did you start with commercial stunt driving or you went straight into movies? Okay, so I started in in Sweden. I grew up in Lapland, Sweden, above Lapland. the Arctic Circle. It's like northern Alaska, to give you an idea how far up I grew up. In a small little town called Jokmok. It means uh, river bend in Laplandish uh, language, Jokmok. Anyway, I started driving on frozen lakes as a kid. Uh, my dad let me start driving for fun, just in his old Mercedes 300 diesel 1976 model, which was power enough to just spin the tires on frozen ice on the lake, frozen lakes. And that's where I learned to drive as a young age, around the eight years, nine years old. He started letting me, as soon as I reached the paddles, I, I started driving. Of course, way back then, we had no idea what drifting was, but it was just sliding cars. It was fun. I think around the 15 years old age, I remember, because I was watching him driving and I was like, no, he should do this. And I start to go faster in the ice track than him. And <laughs> I mean, I just had a passion for it. And no one told me what to do. I just felt like I learned very quickly and was natural. And that's kind of where it started for me. From there, I had a mechanical background in school. I, I wasn't into being in school much for studying, but I just wanted to get out and drive my dirt bikes in the summer or, or get on the ice track in the winter or snowmobile riding was a big passion for me. Uh, having long winters there, seven months, six, seven months with snow. So spent most of my money in my youth age, working the summer, planting trees in the forest to make money to buy a, a newer snowmobile every winter, and, <laughs> which I crashed a lot. But uh, back then, insurance was doing well. Um, and the side story is, yeah, finally, my insurance company kicked me out because I crashed my snowmobile so many times. Really? Because I was just going crazy. Crazy. <laughs> 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 but... Uh, yeah, so dirt bike riding, snowmobile riding in winter, combined with driving the frozen lake. Just I just like driving gravel roads in summer. My dad took me out to very a lot of gravel roads. That's where a lot of the rally drivers become big stars from Finland, Sweden, Norway, Solberg, and all the other drivers from Finland. They learn just driving on. We have a lot of gravel roads, just a lot of freedom there. Uh, not many people, just roads. So you just go and do your thing there. There's not many cops and up there because there's not many people. So people kind of handle their own business up there. That's that's That gave me a lot of the base in my skills to move into a professional career. And I heard about Volvo testing cars up in Sweden from someone that knew they were up there. They were very secret about it. They were using a, an extra military airfield up outside my town that was blocked, couldn't get in there. It was a military airbase with three runways. Anyway... Volvo's renting that in the winter, testing prototype cars. It's like, wow, what a dream job to be paid to drive cars. I was like, but I was like, it's impossible. I mean, I live up here. This, I could never become a professional driver driving cars. I mean, I probably have to settle with driving trucks for my dad. And that was, you know, good enough. But anyway, uh, he gave me a number to call Volvo 
to see if I could get a job as a test driver. This person didn't answer. So I decided, okay, I'm just going to pull up Yellow Pages back then, big <laughs> phone book for Sweden. Yellow Page of Volvo Sweden, 1-800 Volvo pretty much. Call them and say, hey, I want to talk to the person in charge of testing in Jokmok for winter testing. Okay, I'll connect you. She said, his name is Ole Gunnarsson. And he answered, I, was, <laughs> I got nervous. I, wow. Well, hey, my name is Sam. I live in Jokmok and I heard you testing cars here. Do you need a local driver? He's like, well, matter of fact, I might need one. So what's your background? Well, mechanic background. My dad has a trucking company. I've been driving trucks for him and well, you know where the parts are then, that's good, and you've been driving a lot, so those are some good bases. Uh, I'll let you know in two, three weeks, I'll call you back. And um, he did, and I remember it was like nine in the morning, I didn't have a, much work for my dad at times, so I was kind of slow, and uh, I was sleeping. So he woke me up, <laughs> and I was like, hello, are you sleeping? And I'm like, yeah, I am, I'm glad you're <laughs> honest, this is Volvo. <laughs> calling Ole Gunnar from Volvo can you come and meet me so I'm he wants me to meet him another two hours north of Arctic Circle to another town called Kiruna that's where the ice hotel is uh, which is famous around the world the ice hotel so I borrowed my mom's car drove up there met him and he hired me and started as a winter test driver and that started my career as a professional driver driving cars and I was fortunate enough to do a commercial for them that win because they were scouting up there for a Volvo commercial for the Vol new Volvo 850 Turbo in the team there looking at this test track and they were going to film there and I was like pitching my test car sideways as I drove by them, getting a little sideways trying to show off for them and it worked and he asked my boss if they could use me locally and I got to drive for my first commercial for them and this was 1992, 93, the winter over there. Wow. That's amazing. So yeah, that's how it started. Yeah. What a great story. I mean, it, it, it's a testament to pursuing and going after your dreams. Yeah. Some of it is luck. He had to call you back, but you went after it. That's that's pretty I cool. I know. I think that's it could be encouraging for a lot of people because, <clears throat> you know, I think a lot of people here in the beginning when I came and got into drifting, they thought I was, I, I know some people thought I was on the silver plate. They, they saw me the first thing in the Dodge Viper competing, but to get there, I, I was with Volvo then for nine years testing and doing car commercial. I got into a race team in Volvo, doing touring car racing in Sweden, built up a lot of experience, but decided I wanted to pursue, basically just live in California, in the sunny California, and work around cars. At the time I got into instructing with Skip Barber Racing School and uh, working with Rich Rutherford, which also was in part of Drift in the beginning, and Fast and Furious, and Tanner Files. We were instructors for different schools. Of course, I was in the front seat, riding shotgun, instructing. Not the dream, not a whole lot of income, but I was still happier than I was back in Sweden. I was in sunny California, living my dream. and But still, I wanted to, of course, be paid to drive. And lucky and blessed enough, drifting was introduced 2003 by D1. Came over and introduced it here at Irvindale. Me and Rich heard that they were looking for local American drivers to compete against the D1 drivers for a exhibition competition. Rich who? Who's Rich? Uh, Rich Rutherford. Um, he's a stuntman. Uh, he was part of Drifting Beginning. Great old friend of mine. Mm. And of Reese Millen. And Rich drove for Fast and Furious. He was with, he was uh, Reese, Rich, Tan, myself there. Oh, okay. Anyway, well, I was going to go with this. Oh yeah, so then uh, 
sport of drifting, we heard it was like, wow, this sounds very interesting sliding cars. Uh, this could be my opening to get into stunt world. I get into drifting and that should be able to show me my skills so I can maybe get a job in some movie or commercials that was just, you know, even if I don't have the best equipment or whatever, if I'm part of it in the beginning, it's going to be a smaller group and it's easy to get in there and, and get momentum. I end up showing up with a Mustang convertible with a V6. Because the car I was going to rent, an M3 was rented out, and the Corvette I was going to rent didn't get returned in time. And I show up with Mustang convertible with a V6 to the first D1 driver search with a Drift King. And they didn't even let me even try because it was a convertible. <laughs> <laughs> it was too unsafe at the Irvindale Speedway. This is the one that Suchia came to? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, Suchia okay. came over to look for American drivers to compete against the D1 drivers for the first exhibition competition. 2003 in August, I believe it was. Anyway, Rich and Nick let me partner up in their car and we go out and 52 drivers or they die, Yoshihara, Chris Forsberg, uh, all kinds of uh, historically former drift drivers. But he only accepted eight guys out of 52 that was mm. trying out. And he told me I qualified number one, I remember, and in a rental Nissan 350Z. Wow. And this is before major wide-angle kits and massive horsepower and all that? Or were you guys still modifying suspension? No, no. This was a stock Nissan 350Z we rented. We just switched rear tires in it to come there and compete. Some guys had their own cars. Uh, we didn't have one, so we rented just a stock one and had to snap the fuse to take away the traction and, and stability control out of it. Six months later, 2004 in February, their first competition with points, it was they were not going to hold back. And I was lucky enough to get into a Supra, the same Supra reset Rand, I believe. And he had built it for Pikes Peak, I think. So it's a good car. And I managed to come into top 10 in the first D1 competition I competed in. And the only non-Japanese, one of the American drivers to make it top 10 and Dodge were there Mopar looking for this new sport and they they called me and asked me to join them for uh, drifting for them in the in the Viper for Formula Drift that started that year. Wow, you're kind of like the Swedish Takumi from Initial D. Really, I mean, think about it. You grew up driving in the snow and the gravel back home, so you naturally like learned how to, you know, control a car and drift without anybody really teaching you, right? Yeah. Yep. And then you come over here and you qualify number one at the first D one. So Chia hand picks you, and then you're in the top ten. That's like a crazy like success story. That's, yeah. That's amazing, Sam. Because kids dream and they practice every day today to like become you right but then you grew up with this it's like and and you naturally were i think were like born to be a stunt driver or a drifter or a pro driver pretty crazy you know but what i want to ask you and i think a lot of people listening especially young folks is what gave you the courage to just leave home and come here because you know like through these conversations i want to you know share people's journeys and you know kind of give people the process of how someone becomes successful I mean, I'm sure it was pretty scary to just drop everything at home and come to America, right? Yeah. You know? So what gave you the courage to do that? And what was the process of that before all the drifting stuff? Yeah, no. I almost asked myself that too now, you know, knowing how, how long this journey was to get more established here and make a living driving cars because it, it was not an easy task. But yeah, I had a solid test driver job. I was doing commercials for Volvo over there. So I had a lot of cool stuff, but... The only thing I really knew I was doing really well was driving. And 
to be able to make a living doing that in motorsports or stunt riding was to get over to Los Angeles and get into this part of the world where there were so many opportunities. So I think the sunshine, the blue sky was a big draw to me because I was really over long winters and South Sweden has a lot of just cloudy, rainy winters. And also one friend, Andreas, suddenly he's like, okay, I'm moving to Florida now. And he just quit and moved over there. I was like, wow, I've been talking about this for years to him and now he just did it. Life is short. I was thinking, I got to do it too. If not, I'm going to be stuck and just not getting it done. So I just made a decision. Okay, I'm quitting my full-time job, selling everything I have, and I'm just going to head over here and give it a try. Because I was like, Sweden is still there. I can always fly back to go planes every day. So why not give it a chance? And I, and I did. And, mm. and I had to grind here for a few years, just kept knocking doors. And finally, you know, God will open up the right doors as they come, but you have to keep trying. Did you know anybody in LA to help you when you got here? I didn't know anyone in Los Angeles, no. Basically knew a childhood friend, Linda. She married a man here in Newport Beach. She ended up there because she helped me, introduce me to people down there because she knew people in Orange County. I had met some people in the industry who were doing instruction stuff. So, so yeah, that I had got to know, yeah. Some people which were basically wannabe race car drivers, they were doing instruction jobs. So I knew some people, they were scattered around there, more of the, all over the States. But uh, we were all just hungry to be doing the same, getting in and be paid to drive instead of being in the front seat, pretty much. So It's crazy now when you hear the name Tanner Faust and Reese Millen and Samuel Hubernet. <laughs> it's like the, the legends of the, yeah. you know, the driving community, right? You guys are like the staple <laughs> names now Wow, in thank this you. space. I hope you realize that because like it's, you have such an incredible story. You've kind of paved your own way. I mean, you definitely have. You sold everything to pursue a dream, which is something that a lot of people only dream of doing, but to actually do it and then to fight, do your survival job, try to establish a career driving and you're one of the, the I don't want to say like the founding fathers of this, but in a way, you know, you think of stunt or drifting and who were kind of the OGs that really helped with the evolution of everything. And your name is up there along with a couple others. Thank you. Thank you. It also means you're old now. So. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, we are old. We Sam. are getting I mean, old. Yeah. I mean, people talk when they bring up Tokyo Drift, where you and I met, right? Yeah. So Sam was my stunt driver. He would actually wear a wig to look like me, right? <laughs> I mean, they talk about this movie as like a classic now, you yeah. know? So, I mean, um, it kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little weird, you know? So, so give us this, the evolution or the story, the origin story of how you eventually got into Tokyo Drift or you started mm -hmm. driving for Fast and Furious. I think a lot of fans would love to hear that. Yeah. So, as I mentioned, I saw drifting to be in a gate into the stunt world. So, I was like, okay, I'll just do this drifting whatever is sliding cars and that should be able to showcase my skills and then I get into stunt driving that was kind of my goal but at that time I didn't know how big drifting was going to be and so drifting took off with former drift being the, the US sanctioned series I was the Niagara champion 2004 and then Reese won 2005 I took it back 2006 and I think Tanner won 2007 when I was in a charger because my car was too heavy to beat him I'm blaming the car <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we had a good battle back and forth, but I was locked on a contract with some major sponsors like Beef Goodrich and Dodge. So I had a lot of obligations. I couldn't take on stunt jobs uh, as I wanted because I had different uh, appearances and competitions and quite frankly, started to make quite a lot of money doing it. So the drive of stunt driving kind of faded a little bit, but obviously when Fast and Furious, they needed the 
legit drifters in the movie. They had to pull people from outside and not use their current stunt drivers. So that gave the opportunity for Reese became the main stunt driver and Tanner and myself and Rich, the four of us got to do all the driving and I got to be your double. And it was a huge thing for me, you know, finally. And it was like, wow, I was in a movie from not much experience at all here in the States. I suddenly get to be part of that big movie. And it was brutal. It was night shoot. I think I worked for like seven weeks or something on that movie. And we worked night, Monday to Friday night, and then weekends off. And you were just messed up because you were tweaked the hours. I was nervous. It was like very important for me. The car I drove, your car was terrible. <laughs> it was so hard to drive because it was a show car. The RX-7 FD. RX-7 yeah. with no torque, just high RPM and trying to make those tires spin through the corners. In the beginning, it was so challenging. And there was right-hand drive on top of that, which I hadn't had too much experience in either. So, man, tire, middle of the night, depression, and slide through traffic there and keep it sideways with so much traction. It was unbelievable. Every, after every take, I was like, thank God, I didn't hit anyone. Okay, that went well again. And but as we went, we started to modify a little bit more because I popped several gearboxes and stuff because I had to clutch kick so hard to make those tires break traction. And then after a while, we started to be a little more smart about it. So we put some smaller tires in the rear. I wasn't, sh I was too afraid to ask for anything. I was like, I'm just going to figure out. But after a while, I was like, hey, do you want to take off some traction? Yeah, can we? So they put some narrow tires towards the end, <laughs> which made it so much easier. <laughs> so I was like, now I was like, this is piece of cake. Because we took away, it made it so much easier. But in the beginning, the first couple of weeks, it was brutal. And uh, it was not pleasant for me, but it was like just grinding, make make the best out of this and hopefully you get to work again. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? Yes. This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Martha Stewart, and we're back with a new season of my podcast, this season will be even more revealing and more personal with more entrepreneurs, more trailblazers, more live events, more Martha, and more questions from you. I'm talking to my cosmetic dermatologist, Dr. Dan Belkin, about the secrets behind my skincare. Walter Isaacson about the geniuses who change the world. Encore Jane about creating a billion-dollar startup. Dr. Elisa Pressman about the five basic strategies to help parents raise good humans. Florence Fabricant about the authenticity in the world of food writing. 
Be sure to tune in to Season 2 of the Martha Stewart Podcast. Listen and subscribe to the Martha Stewart Podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with, what? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in Season 3? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translated is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. Janie, this sounds like an all-new format. Podcasting 2 is finally here. Thoughtful perspectives on current events. Stunning, sexy, bold interviews with an all-star lineup of guests. And the all-new Beauty Translated Love Line, the first ever. Be a part of the Beauty Translated Transcendental Podcasting Experience by calling our helpline at 678-561-2785. For any problem you may have, we will do our best to make it worse. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. Did you feel driving technique from racing was any different from stunt driving? Because I know sometimes you want to make it look like you're not in control of the car. I know Tokyo Drift is a different example because everyone was like great drivers in it. But did you find there was a big difference in driving style between the two and what you needed to do? Yeah, I think what I learned was to keep down the speed and basically left foot braking way more, you know. More tire smoke. Yeah, slower, more more smoke and more solids. You can do it over and over again. That would be the difference, you know, what what I learned obviously pretty quick there because I came from competing and drifting and you're trying to go as fast as possible sideways. Here was more like, can we slow it down a bit? Because in camera, you can make it look fast anyway with closer angles and such. So I learned that, yeah, you don't, you don't have to go full blast. <laughs> you can slow it down with just left foot braking a little bit and keep it, keep the smoke going, make it look spectacular, but keep it in the safer area. And what about for modern cars? Do you... I imagine with all, you know, how smart they are, if you left it brake, does it, does the car allow you to? Does ABS kick on? What do you guys do for stuff like that? Yeah, a lot, a lot of times you can't do it. Uh, like, we, you know, we do a lot of car commercials all the time and most cars, uh, they flip out if you use two feet on the pedals at the same time. 
<laughs> goes into limp mode for like feels like seconds, but it is maybe a second or two sometimes. But mm-hmm. sometimes it dies. So you have to just uh, figure out how to do without that to make the action at the right place. So th- that's what you have to always think: mm-hmm. where is the camera going to capture your action? And that's when you need to make it happen. After that, you can spin out to do whatever. But the angle has to be there if it's about drifting. And then you can even, for example. Let it rotate around if it's outside the frame, because as long as the director gets his shot, he's happy. Mm-hmm. So you you do whatever you can to make it look good just for the camera moment. That's fascinating. Do you personally like the older cars, or are you are you always keeping up with new cars in your personal life? So yeah, I like I like the future. I like new technology. You know, I think it's exciting. I I don't know much about historic cars. Like if you go to a car show and there's a lot of fifties and 40s or whatever. I, I don't know much so much about that. Yeah, I'm definitely more interested about the today's and future. But for for driving wise, yeah, it, it gives us a, definitely a challenging time sometimes because the electronic stability control kicks in when you're trying to get the car sideways. You can't turn it off. A lot of times you can turn off the traction control. You can do little, you can spin. You can do a little burnout or get some tires rotating. But uh, as soon as you turn and try to get some steering angle, ESC kicks in. And that's something uh, sometimes you can't even defeat. Sometimes we actually pull the ABS sensors and that shuts down all those features. As long as the car doesn't go into limp mode, sometimes the car can go into limp mode if you pull a fuse or such. So you have to figure it out. And do you get time ahead of time to try to figure this out on set or are you showing up in the day of? Oh yeah, it's funny how it is. It's such a short period of time. You have time to shoot the commercial, usually a day or two. Most of the time it's a day. So we don't have any time. You just got to figure out right away. In the morning, you look at the car and try to talk to the car prep people if there's something you need to know. And then you figure out yourself because as soon as the director is ready, you go out in the street, you have the street locked up, you shoot and you move on and you just have to get on the fly and don't screw up. But what about for the movies like in Fast and Furious? You guys don't have time to work with the car and modify it for your personal needs for, to perform those stunts? Movies are definitely better because mm. uh, all depends on who's making the cars to, <clears throat> you know, Dennis McCarthy, you know, talent group of guys. Sometimes Reese's been building the cars for us for different movies, so then they're modified very well. Mm. So it depends. If you're in one of the cars for the back, usually it's just another beat up car you have to try to do the best. But if you, if it's a hero car, you have some type of influence a lot of times, but unfortunately, a lot of times you ask for a lot and then things are not done the way you want anyway. And you have, you're like, really? I asked <laughs> for a lock differential because this is all about drift. And now they give you an open diff. Right. I'm like, okay, now to just try to flick this car and make it as size as I can because someone missed that message getting down the line. Yeah, because there's so many people involved, but like uh, Need for Speed, throw that doubling Aaron Paul. That was a good setup, Mustang. So I made the job very easy. You know, good power and good diff and just normal steering angle was fine on the Mustang to make it look good. I remember the FT in Tokyo Drift. When we were shooting that scene downtown where the car flips over, yeah. right? That's when they used to let the actors actually drive the cars around a little bit. Right? Yeah. You know, after that film, I basically never got in a car and drove it again. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I mean, that movie was really fun because they sent us to Irwindale. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you were there, but they had the Viper, they had you know, they had the 350 at the time, they had DK's car, they had the RX-7. So they let us drive the cars around and really, you know, get a feel of it and uh, teach us as yeah. much as they could. After that film, we never did that again. That's a bummer. Yeah. And I remember Brad, one of the guys that built the cars for the movie that works for Dennis, he came up to me and he goes, hey, this has a like 500 horsepower motor in it now. So 
be careful of the throttle because the body kit's going to fly off. And I was, like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, it's not. And he goes, yeah, be careful. I thought it was joking. And then I gunned it and the body kit fell off. <laughs> really? So then I had a big delay and they had to stop and then like, you know, like put it all back together. Yeah. But I remember, yeah, that that's was really why, fun. That's why I never got to drive it because you broke it. I probably broke it. Yeah. 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 They, yeah. We broke a lot of cars. I remember when they sent us to Irwindale, I got in the... 350 and I slammed against the wall yeah. right away because I never I never nobody taught me how to drift I, just, yeah. I was just trying and they just go for it and I yeah. remember I slammed into the wall and I was panicking I would have been so scared yeah I was like oh shoot I'm gonna get fired like I'm gonna have to pay for this and uh. then somebody came up to me and, and I was like I'm so sorry and he goes nah we got a whole bunch of them. Don't worry. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, really? And I, so I started going crazy in all of them. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you just got off of Ferrari, you said? Yeah, in Italy with uh, Michael Mann. Uh, Nagel was the coordinator. So he got to do this and he did an amazing job and assembled some great guys there over there in Italy. And I got to go that, there too. It was a fun experience working with Adam Driver and the whole crew there were spectacular and see them doing their, their thing, acting. Mm. Patrick Dempsey was super cool with me. Mm. By the way, he's a gearhead and awesome guy to work with. We were working with him and other actors over there too to get them to do their own driving. So they got to drive and he got to see me in my element when we were coaching and driving with them. And, and then he got to see me in the movie setting and he saw me being nervous and he was he was like trying to encourage me because he saw the different Samuel because <laughs> sitting there scared like my first line in my life I have to speak here I barely speak English I'm from Sweden <laughs> and now I have to speak British English but we'll see it was fun Adam Driver was spectacular he's playing uh, Enzo and to see them doing their thing was powerful so yeah and then basically focused on commercials and my wife Stina doing the same so she's doing great too so fun to see her doing so well I saw her skills when we started dating back 2004 2005 she was mainly focusing on my career in the beginning and then she got to go to a lot of driving schools when I was coaching back then and I, I saw her she had natural talent too she is an incredible driver I was saying this before we started recording and I want to share with everyone listening that she has been a big inspiration for me for my entire career and I have a vivid memory of a video she had posted on her socials years ago of her doing figure eights, I think, in a BMW in a parking lot. I don't know if it was Arundale. I think it was, it was for, yeah, for a Nitto commercial. And I was like, wow, that is the coolest thing I have seen a woman, um, not the coolest thing in the world. There's incredible women. I don't want to you know, leave anyone out. But that at the time for me, I was like, wow, that I looked up to it and I was like, I want to try to do that. And that was a representation um, that I didn't have at the time to be like, you know, this beautiful girl is driving a car and out driving probably a lot of men out there too. Like, I want to I want to try that. I want to do that. And she was a big inspiration to me starting to slide cars around. First of all, it's cool that you, you think it was a needle tire commercial because we were just promoting them because they were hooking us with tires. Oh, really? So definitely that worked. It's crazy I remember uh-huh. specifically that too. So manufacturers out there, give people some free things. It works. You know, we promote you guys and you will sell more parts. But yeah, Stina did that in the BMW. This was way back when Facebook was more influenced and had more power. And this thing went viral. But a lot of kids sitting there and just hammering on her, bash talking her. And I know it shouldn't affect you, but it did. But it, it did in a good way for me because I was like, you know what? All these criticals bashing on my wife saying, you know, she should go back to the kitchen. What is she doing? Because I know they were all jealous. But it triggered me and made me inspired to take it to the next level. And that's the reason 
we got the Lamborghini Huracan because like I got inspired. I was like, you know what? I'm going to shut them all off. I'm going to get a supercar. It's going to be a car they haven't even been sitting in. It's going to be so cool. So they're going to be just quiet. And that's what I did with Stina. We got a Huracan, got needed tires on board. They sponsor us to go do a video with Donut Media. We, we got to do it with Lamborghini Newport Beach and we took the car and drifted Lamborghini Newport Beach dealership around millions of dollars of the cars. And she did an amazing job. And that video took her into a whole other level too. And she got more respect in the industry, got more commercials. And no one criticized it because she did such an amazing job in a supercar, which is really hard to drift. Yeah. They're not easy to handle with a rear engine sitting there. It's a handful, especially with millions of dollars around you with cars that you had to pay if you crashed them. Anyway, that was a cool thing. And it came out of that anger of naysayers. I'm going to show them wrong. And she did. I'm not surprised to hear that she got roasted. I'm sorry that that happened. But I mean, I still get it today. I almost didn't even YouTube or pursue a career in cars because of how terrible of a backlash I was getting of some of the worst things people could say to anyone. And you're reading them online, you're by yourself, you get in your head about it. And it's people who are just jealous at the end of the day who like, well, I can't believe I'm not there doing that. So instead, I'm just going to hate on this person mm. because I'm mad at myself. Exactly. They were just sexy. They were, they were, they were just dis- so disrespectful for her. Mm. Well, good came out of it because for me, I was like, I'm going to learn how to do a figure eight and and like slide right into the camera. And exactly. It was really cool. It's the best way to use that type of negativity is make it to something better and go back and show them wrong. What's the saying? No one doing more than you is going to talk shit on you or something like that. Or you're never going to hear negativity from the people doing more than you. It's only the people doing less. Yeah. And she did something important. I mean, she influenced people like Amelia. Now you are doing the same. So it's really cool. It's just going to be a good wave of, you know, positivity yeah. For, yeah. for other women. Thank you. I, I hope to only leave a good impact on this earth. You will. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Sam, when you watch these films with cars and these you know, car stunts. Do you feel like from when we shot Tokyo Drift to where it is now with all the CG and special effects, do you think it's gotten better or worse in your opinion? No, so for me, it's, it's being worse. But I understand that the new generation, they're so used to CGI and video game type of uh, experience. I haven't been playing many video games the last ever, really. So I, I see that they, they feel it's okay when cars are flying to the moon and everything and being so unrealistic. I still am old school. I like when it's just real deal driving and uh, it's actually done for real instead of CGI and faking everything. So for me, it's tough to see. I, to be honest, I haven't even watched the last <laughs> few first Fast and Furious movies. I was in number nine myself, but I didn't see myself. Did you drive in that film? Did you get to do anything cool stunts or anything? Le- not, nothing spectacular. I was I was asked to come and do doubling for uh, Vin Diesel's brother, I believe it was, or himself in nine mm. when when they're done in Thailand for a month or two down there. I was going to do the drive, main driving. Mm. Uh, Spiro called me, which is you know second unit director for for Fast and Furious, amazing talent man. Yeah. So it was an honor to have the phone call. But I turned it down because the time away was not attracted to me at that time. I have three kids, mm-hmm. a wife, I want to be home. And also, we were, gonna, we were going to Sweden every summer, so it's a tradition we want to do. And I was going to be in Thailand for one or two months and then to the country, Georgia, for another month. So it was, it was too much commitment, so I turned it down. But that, I did the, the NASCAR scene at Irvindale. Oh, you did? Yeah, when... The, when he got a flashback with his father. That's all I know because I haven't watched it myself, but yeah. we got to drive NASCARs for two, three days. It was fun. Just 
going hard around there and get an experience, a lot of seat time in NASCAR. So it was fun. That's cool. That's the best part of the movie, by the way. I, okay. did, I did see the film, and that was the best part. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I have to watch it now. Just watch that part. Yeah, watch watch it. Fast it's really forward. Good. Yeah, it's really good. It's really <laughs> awesome. Okay. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? Yeah. This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Martha Stewart. And we're back with a new season of my podcast. This season will be even more revealing and more personal with more entrepreneurs, more trailblazers, more live events, more Martha, and more questions from you. I'm talking to my cosmetic dermatologist, Dr. Dan Belkin, about the secrets behind my skincare. Walter Isaacson about the geniuses who change the world. Encore Jane about creating a billion-dollar startup. Dr. Elisa Pressman about the five basic strategies to help parents raise good humans. Florence Fabricant about the authenticity in the world of food writing. Be sure to tune in to season two of the Martha Stewart Podcast. Listen and subscribe to the Martha Stewart Podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with, what? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in Season 3? We're talking about life, Carmen. 
Beauty Translate is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. Janie, this sounds like an all-new format. Podcasting 2 is finally here. Thoughtful perspectives on current events. Stunning, sexy, bold interviews with an all-star lineup of guests. And the all-new Beauty Translated Love Line, the first ever. Be a part of the Beauty Translated Transcendental Podcasting Experience by calling our helpline at... 678-561-2785 For any problem you may have, we will do our best to make it worse. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye! Bye! Having a relationship and staying married in this business is hard because you have so much time away. You know, like, how do you balance that, your family? You have three kids now. And, yeah. You know, and I can see that you're super involved as a dad. And you, you guys have, like, a Hollywood family. It's like every time I see pictures of Or a you, non-Hollywood yeah. family. Yeah, yeah. Like a non-Hollywood, yeah, yeah. Like, it's a movie family. It's exactly. It's like a movie family. Yeah, like no. Picture perfect. Yeah. Like, so I mean, what, what do you guys do to, to balance that? I mean, for me, basically, I, I never pursued the movie world i didn't i didn't take on and go travel the world and do big movies because there's film mainly out, out of california i stayed focused on doing car commercials to make a living and uh, being home more that's the best recipe i think uh, yeah so just trying to work here more i i take on two three weeks of something maybe on the movie car chase scenes because that's what i do i do car chase uh, more uh, specific i don't do big crashes I have an old whiplash. I don't want to wake it up. So yeah, that's for the stunt man. Yeah, the yeah. stunt man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll do the driving. Mm. So I've been blessed uh, to make a living doing that. So side note: when I was at Fast and Furious three, I met a lot of stunt men there, legends. They done all the historic movies, and I remember one of them. I forgot his name, but he said, "Well, if you're gonna make in this industry, you need to be able to do everything: ride horses, fire, fight scenes." everything otherwise it's not going to work okay i said thank you for the advice and i was thinking inside no that's not me i'm going to make it through with just driving cars because that's all i know i'm really good at and i don't want to fall from buildings because i'm afraid of heights yeah. <laughs> type of thing i just believe I, it's going to work and i did and it did but yeah yeah i mean why not be great at one thing instead of good at several right yeah i mean I think both works, but for me, it was about just focusing on driving. Mm -hmm. That's all I want to do. I love driving. Anything. Just give me a vehicle. It's fun. Do you feel like the kids today are less into actually cars and like modifying cars from when you were growing up? I mean, I think so. There's so many other distractions now and people can Uber so easy and they don't need to have a license. So it sounds like, I mean, also you read up about it, how percentage are, have gone down of 16 year olds to get their driver's license. Like that was the, one of the biggest days in my life, the day I got my driver's license. I mean, I was so happy. So, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, I guess here in LA, we, we wish there were less cars on the, on the roads because <laughs> of the traffic. So I guess it might be a good thing. Take the bus or go together. Do you notice that with your friends, Amelia, in your generation? You know, I want to be in denial of it. Say, no, everyone's still in the cars. I think when I was living in Indiana, what we would do on the weekend was just work on cars, swap turbos, build engines. 
And as I've, you know, gotten older and especially out here, it's more everyone's still into cars, but it's more let's go drive in the canyons, let's let's wrench on the cars. I mean, it seems like at least in LA, there's like a massive explosion of JDM fervor. Like these kids are like all into the, you know, the R34s and 35s. Like Yeah, there's definitely the appreciation there. But comparing to just wrenching on cars from like 20 years ago, mm. I'd... I wonder. I wonder if it's a status symbol thing with these. Maybe. Yeah, lately also been, I mean, it's starting to make more cowboy movies, right? That's like a new trend with Yellowstone and everything. It's like coming back with horses and stuff. So changing in the movie world, coming back to some more Western mm. style, old school movies and stuff too. So When you do your stunts, who handles all the safety specs and stuff? Is that you? Yeah. So when we do car commercials, Generally, we're just one or two cars usually in car commercials, and we are the ones handling ourselves just uh, between us and the camera car driver we're working with as such. Whoever got hired by the director, he's kind of more in charge, and he maybe brings in a couple of more drivers for the other cars, and together we just discuss the shoot, and we get it done and move on. You know, the, the stunt performers are the most underappreciated people on set a lot of the times. I think about it and I go, you know, how many people on a movie set actually risk their lives to come to work? Yeah. And it's the stunt folks that, that actually are in that position. I mean, the actors, we don't have anything to complain about. I mean, there are people, you know, bringing us water and holding an umbrella, like, so you don't, the sun doesn't hit you. Like, we're so You have sp- a heated trailer, yeah. like a TV and a couch in it. We're so spoiled, you know? And, um, you know, so I I I just want to say thank you, Sam, for everything you do, um, because you know a lot of people give me credit for these movies, and they're like, "Oh, you're so cool, and you're like an amazing driver." And I tell them, and I'm very like upfront. I go, "That's not me. I'm not the one doing that. It's this guy from Sweden <laughs> with a wig." <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it's so hilarious. Look, what when he's in the costume, he's in my costume and he has a wig on. I know. Yeah. I hope you guys took a photo together. We, I, we have photos. I know I have. I've I have them somewhere. Yeah, uh, let's find them. That, yeah. that would be fun to see. I think I have some old ones. Uh, but yeah, no, there's no Oscar at all for any of the stunt coordinator or anything. You it's, know, I, I haven't thought about that. They, do they do stunt awards of any kind? We have our own, but it's sponsored by Red Bull just for the stunt community itself. Huh. What's that called? Taurus. Yeah, the, to- the Taurus. Oh, that makes <laughs> Taurus World Stunt Award. That makes sense. And it should be televised. And, it, you know, it, yeah. it's kind of like Hollywood's dirty secret that, you know, these men and women risk their lives to make all the actors look good. And, you know, Hollywood yeah. doesn't want to acknowledge it. Do you have advice for people who want to get into stunts or specifically driving if they want to build their career into this space? Yeah, so I get, I get that question sent to me a lot on... Uh, you know social media platform so many people reach out to me and ask him because you know of course it's a dream job for many and it's so hard because it's like there's no specific way to come in but i usually tell them got to move where the business is to start like i did you can't uh, sit in some little town in oklahoma and hoping to be a stunt driver or something you got to go where the, where it happens i would say los angeles as <laughs> a good spot maybe actually georgia right now atlanta georgia has mm-hmm. a lot of tv shows and and then just start networking uh, you have to build up some type of resume on yourself which means you need to spend some money and get your own car and start showing how eager you are and do driving and meet other people and hopefully you meet someone that maybe get you in Uh, as a backup driver or something and just keep hustling and there's no guarantee it could take many years Mm -hmm. it's so much uh, responsibility because we're in big vehicles that cost so much 
damage if you make a mistake, causing lives and equipment. So mm-hmm. it's, I mean, I basically tell people it's easy to become an actor. There's more actor jobs than stunt work almost because there's a lot of different shows and acting jobs, but stunt drivers is a smaller community. It's tough, but if you really believe you are the best of the best and uh, can succeed, just keep trying and network. Yeah, and also, you know, I can add to that. A lot of, you know, people that I've met, you know, in the stunt community that, you know, they fizzle out pretty quickly because they might have talent, you know, and they have the ability. But the thing that sets someone like Samuel apart is that when he comes to set, there is this wonderful energy about him. You know, he says hello to everybody. There's no ego. He, you know, he's really pleasant to be around. That's why... You know, after all of these years, it's like, you know, I love being around Sam and you can only speak highly of him. And that's something that I think a lot of people forget is that you can have talent, but your personality and your enthusiasm and your passion for what you do and the energy that, you know, you, you, you put out there and, you know, being a collaborator, you know, he's just fantastic. There are you know, some dudes that show up and they have this attitude and this ego and I'm too mm-hmm. cool for school and stuff. And you know, after a couple of times, you don't want to be around those people. So, yeah. you know, it's like, it's a relationship business and, you know, and, you know, everybody loves Samuel, you know? So that's something that, you know, you know, for the listeners out there, it's like work on your craft, but then also work on yourself. Like, you know, be yeah. a cool person to be around. Be, be kind. Yeah, be yeah. kind. Yeah. Be a good mood dude. Be it a costs good, <laughs> nothing to be nice to people. Yeah. And yeah. Everyone's fighting a battle you know nothing about. So yeah. yeah, that's a good point. I mean, everybody's important on a, on a commercial movie set. You know, the ones cleaning or fixing or feeding you. I mean, it's a team. So you have to respect everybody. And again, that little worker doing something over there, he might be the next producer. So you never know. We all come from nowhere, most yeah. of, and then we get somewhere because we're going to keep climbing the ladder. So respect and treat everybody the same. Yeah, everyone has to start somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, Sam. Thanks for your time. And yeah. Thanks for your words. You know, Oh, you guys too. Yeah. Still uh, come up with some more fun stuff. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll make some cool stuff you yeah. know, before we leave this earth. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for thanks coming. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. All right. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Like you, Jonah, who's a music person and also a mental health counselor. And you, Vanessa, who is an actress, comedian, and I think you even wrote a children's book. Wow. I sure did. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it. That's really it. And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) 
as a high school student. Plus, legendary sisters Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. Top. You would pull the bag out, and then we would eat okay. the eat all the leftover the leftover chocolate chips, which was a lot. Then you'd roll the barrel oh, up so to fun. up the hill. And then one of us would get inside the barrel and they'd push you down. And we've also had an amazing guest like Mike the Miz, Jason Isbell, Carrie Brownstein and Corin Tucker of Slater Kinney, and many more. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like Change.Dork. <laughs> Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Chelsea Handler, and if you listen to my podcast, Dear Chelsea, you know that I love making space for women to share their stories, and that is why I'm excited to be part of Women Take the Mic, iHeartRadio's celebration of women who make music, influence change, and create culture. All month long, your favorite voices from talk radio, music, and podcasting will highlight the remarkable achievements made by women and discuss the most significant issues facing us today. Search Women Take the Mic to listen to a collection of International Women's Day episodes from iHeart's top podcasts, including Angela Yee's Lip Service, The Psychology of Your 20s, and Dear Chelsea. It is a great way to support women and discover your new favorite show. Head to iHeartRadio.com slash Women's Day for more and listen to Women Take the Mic on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, for years, we have humbly celebrated Women's History Month at QLS with a full month of fantastic female guests. This year, we say with pride that we have four multi-talented, award-winning ladies who kick down barriers. I'm talking Brittany Howard, Corinne Bailey Ray, and the incredible choreographer Fatima Robinson, and as well as Lettucey. Listen to QLS on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 